this is Meet the Expert, the series of podcasts on swine health management in practice brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim. My name is Peter Best. For this episode, I'm talking to Dr. Klaus Deppner in northern Germany about the spread of the African swine fever virus in Europe since 2007. Dr. Deppner is a virologist and he heads a small working group called Transboundary Animal Disease Management within the Institute of International Animal Health, One Health, at the Friedrich Löffler Institute, or FLI, the German Federal Institute for Animal Health. Dr. Deppner, I mentioned the arrival of ASF in Europe in 2007 when it entered Georgia, was that when you started to be involved in investigating it? Hello, Peter. Um, my pleasure to be your guest today. Yes, uh, my involvement started a long time before in Africa, but 2007 I was also involved in Georgia and then um, in Armenia and then later with the spreading to the European Union or to Eastern Europe, where I was involved with African swine fever. For sure, we must control ASF, Dr. Deppner. Where do we start with that? You're the virologist with a lot of experience of this disease. Where do we start? Is it with the pigs or with the people? <laughs> I would say with both. So uh, first of all, you would need a little bit of basic knowledge about ticks and about the disease. Uh, without that, you will not be able to control it. But nevertheless, it showed it, uh, the disease. We learned that it's a human-made disease. So it's a matter of uh, what people are doing and how they behave, how they transport the virus. So, for example, what I have seen in the Caucasus region is then where you don't have at that time a compensation scheme for uh, farmers which lost, are losing the animals. So the pigs are dying or start to become sick and the people then to save money, they slaughter the sick pig. And then you have suddenly um, so much cheap meat on the market, on the black market, and everybody buys this cheap meat. And then this cheap meat is of course uh, contaminated meat or infected meat. And then it's carried in the suitcases, in the cars, over hundreds of kilometers. And that's how the, the disease is spread. Humans are spreading the disease, not uh, so much the animals from nose to nose infection. We, the humans, so you don't need a virologist or an epidemiologist. Actually, you need an anthropologist or a social a sociologist to, to cope with the disease. So we have to work holistically. Yes, we haven't got a sociologist with us today. <laughs> but I must say, from my point of view, I'm not sure how much we can control human behavior in this case. I mean, what can we do as veterinary people interested in the health of swine herds if they're at risk from this human intervention. We can control a little bit what the humans do on the farms, but we've got very little hope of changing behaviour outside the farm, have we? It's education is the most, um, the, the, the word, the most important word. Of course, if we can have um, a good farm management, 
we can prevent introduction of the virus into the farm. And good farm management is also a little is part of education in educating the laborers, the veterinarians, and all this kind of uh, of, of yeah people. Then you can prevent your introduction of the virus. More difficult is preventing it in the forest, in the wild boar population. But for domestic pigs, by, by good biosecurity and education, you might, you might do it. But it takes time. That's unfortunately, uh, it's said so easily and it's so clear for everybody. But when it comes to implementing or implementing it, it becomes complicated. Yes, Dr. Deppner, we're having this conversation for this podcast while well, Germany, where you're based, is battling to beat ASF after the virus apparently came across the Polish side of the border in wild boar. You're based in Germany, as I say. Can I ask you how much success do you expect for the current German actions aimed at stamping out, such as establishing these so-called <laughs> white zones? So uh, stamping out is would be the the right uh, the wrong um, uh, way to to approach it because we are here in Germany only the the edge of an epidemic which is center is much farther east so stamping out would mean to eradicate the whole um, epidemic which is not located in in Germany it's it's in on the Polish side so. Uh, the best what we could do or we can do is to stop spreading further westwards Germany. That is one um, biggest uh, task which we have now to stop this wave, this epidemic wave, uh, to stop it. And uh, we are in a way lucky because we can learn a lot from the Czech and from the Belgium experience, which successfully uh, eradicated the disease. However, in their case, they were uh, singular uh, hotspots or, or, or clusters. It's not like in our case where we are just the edge of a, a larger epidemic. By the way, I mentioned white zones. For our listeners and viewers, mm. would you remind us, please, what is a white zone? Yeah, the white zone is... <clears throat> so, um, take another way. You have an... Uh, we call it core area. That's the area where we find infected animals. Now, in, when we are clear about the size of this core area, we would like that no pigs which are infected should leave this core area. And then the white zones comes into the, in, into the scene. So we, like now in Germany, around the core area, we have a corridor about five uh, kilometers uh, size. Uh, so like, um, yeah, a corridor, put it, where we put fences and um, inside this core area, which theoretically is edging the infect, uh, the white zone, sorry, inside this uh, white zone, which is edging the core area, theoretically, the virus should not be in yet there. In, and we then try to empty, to, to hunt all animals or to catch them inside the white zone. Then in case uh, infected animal would escape from the core area, in the white zone area, there will be no other pigs which you can infect. That's the idea. The mm -hmm. size of the area for a white zone, could that be large or small? So, as I said, as we choose about a size of five kilometers, dep depends on the, 
on the habitat. Uh, depends if you are in more agricultural area or forested area. That has to be decided um, case by case. It's not a general rule where you say the core area is uh, that size, that's so large and so so huge. So you you have to see which natural barriers you have, which artificial barriers you have. You can use. Important is you have to fence the the white uh, zone area so that you can uh, uh, co conduct your measures. So it's the French have done it and the Belgian have done it successfully using the fencing and producing the 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 white zone. So that we tried to do in Germany also. Has there been additional fencing at the border to stop this? Of course, of course. Yeah, yes, of course. Initially, we had uh, electric fence, and now in the areas there where they have uh, the disease, uh, the solid fences are now replacing the electric ones. It's a tool, only a tool. No? From your expert mm -hmm. perspective, would you say we have a good chance of stopping it? going further west in Europe. Yes, I think so. I have to be optimistic, <laughs> of course, uh, but we have learned a lot during the last years, particularly what have, uh, has happened in countries. So we have also learned from countries where things did not work and also learned from countries where it worked. So now I hope that we can use this knowledge and we, I hope it will, it will work. So. We have the strategy of fencing, the strategy of uh, producing, of doing the white, white zones, and also the surveillance strategy, taking out the carcasses. Um, the areas are so large, meanwhile, that it's very difficult to, to do there um, the same what we do now here. So in an, in an area which is large as a whole country, it's really difficult to design a white zone, for example. Where do you want to put it? That's that's the point. So there we have to think for better or alternative ways of getting rid of the disease, which I'm not clear how to go. Uh, probably the same way to, to make compartments and to, to try to get rid in a particular area of and then produce kind of white, white zones. It's, that's really difficult. Where we waited too long and the area is too big, the management of large areas, it becomes at the end impossible. At the local level then, it seems to me the way to go against ASF, from what you say, is to establish and maintain stabilized conditions on the swine farm and in the surrounding area, if that's possible. Is that correct? Do you think we should establish these more stable environments both within the farm and in the area around it yeah i think that we have no other choice we have to improve our biosecurity we have to <clears throat> to keep the um, disease there in the wild boar uh, population where it is not to spread out of that particular population and uh, yeah to stabilize it and then uh, gradually uh, we will also succeed to eradicate it unfortunately african swine fever is a disease where you need lots of patience and sometimes doing nothing is better than doing um, something which is uh, contraproductive but you have to have patience for this disease it takes time let me pause for a moment to remind everyone that more information on this conversation, like articles, publications and videos, 
can be found on the website purs.com. Could we use the hunting people to help us monitor the wild boar population in any way? Of course, as a, at least for wild boar, uh, without a, co a good cooperation with hunters, uh, we are lost. So they are the one which at the end uh, of this uh, <clears throat> process will do the job. And for them, it's double difficult because the strategy is quite uh, tricky. So in the area where you have indeed circulating the virus, so where you have the epidemic, there is no hunting allowed. However, in the area immediately bordering the core area where you have the disease, a lot of hunting has to be done to reduce the population. And that it's uh, a logistic uh, <clears throat> challenge to, to do that. And also the hunters have to be patient not to hunt where you have the disease, but to increase hunting where you don't have the disease. What's the right way to do surveillance of wild boar populations for ASF virus? Um, the carcass search is the most effective tool or the, the best way to identify ASF in wild boar and to identify it earlier. Uh, testing hunted animals is rather it's also good, but it's not the fastest way because normally only healthy animals are shot, not sick animals. And healthy animals, they will be not positive for African swine fever. So um, the way to go is to search for carcasses and um, some strategies even offer hunters money to report carcasses and to search for carcasses. So in some places, in some countries, they they get even money for, for carcass search. You've mentioned the ASF situation in some European countries. I noticed that you're engaged in a European Union project regarding ASF. Is that in the Ukraine? Uh, what is that project? Uh, it's not Ukraine. I am in the Baltic states and then in the um, in the West Balkans. What we do there, particularly in the Baltic states, is we do lots of farm investigations where they have the outbreaks. And uh, our main aim is to develop strategies how we can detect as early as possible the disease and then um, to see how we can avoid that the disease spreads to other farms. So it's rather um, so field investigation of out, or outbreak field investigation, which we do and what we can learn out of this and finally improving our um, strategies and even going so far to advise the managers to change uh, legit legislation accordingly. So that is what we do. Mm -hmm. Does that suggest we need almost prescriptive programs that are customized for each country to manage ASF? One size does not fit all. There are some aspects which are general, of course, uh, which uh, can be already now used. But the other ones, particularly when it comes to the disease in wild boar, you always have to consider the particularities of the affected region of the habitat 
you have also to see what kind of manpower you have, what kind of uh, financial resources you have. And um, then you have to make a tailor-made program for the particular area. What is not a case for the domestic animals there, it's much, much more clear what you have to do under which conditions. Dr. Deppner, in a separate conversation, I asked you about the chances of the virus changing. I need to come back to that, if I may, for this podcast. Just to be clear, as a virologist, would you expect the ASF virus to change mm. its molecular structure or properties as the epidemic in Europe continues? You know, this changing of viruses is absolutely normal and natural, and it happens uh, always and everywhere. So the point that the virus is changing is something very normal. The question is, the changed virus, which has changed, has this new variant uh, survival um, chance? Is it good for the virus to change or not? And normally, say, most changes or nearly all changes, they are not in favor for the virus, so they will not survive in the population. Um, only few changes which give an advantage of survival of, of this um, new variant. And um, then we have to see if that happens. So far, I can't see that we have a change which uh, will give an advantage to the virus because only that change which give an advantage to the virus is of significance. The other one, they will be dead ends, they will die out. So it will not, uh, they will not survive in evolutionary. And uh, it takes normally under natural, natural uh, historical perspective, it takes hundreds of thousands of years until you have real changes, which then uh, give a new uh, phase uh, of the disease. What we have, we have, of course, we have changes on, on the genome side, which we then also can use um, for molecular epidemiological tracing. We can say, okay, this line is more present there than the other ones of this strain. Uh, but in, in fact, from uh, the picture of the disease, not much, much change. So we still have the high uh, case fatality and the same way of contagiosity and this kind of issue. If I might ask you for one further forecast, what do you think is the likelihood that we will have an ASF vaccine? Maybe I should change the question. Not the likelihood to have a vaccine, the likelihood to use the vaccine. That would be more interesting. If we would have a vaccine, who would use this vaccine? Under which conditions? So I don't, I would say it might be um, uh, understandable or it might be logic or, or might whatsoever. I can see that we might have a vaccine. How good this vaccine is at the end? So in the way how immunogenic it is, I can't tell now. It would be not such a good vaccine as for classical swine fever, for example, where we have an excellent vaccine. But now, um, under which condition you would use the vaccine? Where we definitely would need a vaccine would be for wild boar. And in that case, you can only use a live bait vaccine where you throw the baits out in the forest and, and, um, 
the wild boar will eat it and will get immunized. And there, I don't see that we will have soon a vaccine. That's quite complicated. For domestic pigs, a needle vaccine might be there, but uh, under which condition you could use it preventively or in case of emergency, as now in the European Union, where you have a quite good veterinary service and a good biosecurity, I doubt if I uh, if we would use a vaccine uh, under other conditions in other countries. Under other, I, I can't can't predict it, but I would under our conditions. I don't see that we would use a vaccine for domestic pigs. I I can't see the conditions where we take the decision to use it. Would that perhaps depend on whether we can test and distinguish between vaccinated and naturally infected pigs? That might be helpful if we would have that tool, but even to use a so-called DIVA vaccine, that is a DIVA vaccine, you have to take a decision to vaccinate. And I wonder which disease manager would take that decision if he might say we have better tools to prevent ourselves or it's easier than to cull one herd instead of uh, vaccinating a whole country or something like that. No? Uh, so it's rather, um, say, a more management decision, a political decision, an economic decision. Would vaccinated pigs against African swine fever compete on the market or not? That would be a question. All these kind of issues. At the moment, anyway, without that vaccine being to hand or regulations to allow it, we've got to control this in the ways that you've described. And that begins with education of the general public so that they're not transmitting the virus or carrying it with food or other substances. It means also good farm biosecurity so that we don't allow it to enter if possible. It means trying to control it within the farm if there's an outbreak to stop it going anywhere else. And on a national level, it means identifying those zones where an infection occurs and to ring fence in the sense that you try to remove the virus from those areas. You're an optimist, you've told me, Dr. Deppner. You obviously feel quite optimistic that control is in our hands. But we have to be very patient. For domestic pigs, I'm really optimistic. For wild boar, I uh, force myself to be optimistic because we had a little bit success in Belgium and in Czech Republic. And um, if we are patient and we do not do stupid things, then we might succeed at least blocking and stopping the, the wave of the epidemic. So that would be my prognosis. On that note, we must bring this podcast to a close, Dr. Detmer. Many thanks for giving us your insights into the virus that is African swine fever. Thank you also to our listeners for joining us in this. We always welcome your feedback. There will be further Meet the Expert podcasts in the series coming along, so stay tuned. But for the moment, our thanks again to Dr. Klaus Deppner in Germany. Goodbye and stay tuned. Just before you go, we hope you've enjoyed hearing our conversation with the most recent winners of the annual European PERS Research Awards. 
bear in mind that next time one of the winners could be you. Beringer Ingelheim is again providing three awards of 25,000 euros to fund the winning PERS research studies in Europe and is particularly interested in practical proposals. The deadline for submissions is the first day of July and more information can be found on the website pers.com. We hope to hear from you.